Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Penn Sunday School, broadcasting live from Show Creator Studio South. Today, it's me, Fifth Amanda Dragon, filling in for Matt Donnelly. And now, your host, preaching love, is Penn Gillette. We'll work on that. <laughs> oh, just, that was all I had time to write down. In between finding out I was doing the introduction. Preaching love. And this doing the introduction. You did a fine job, Ben. That's all I had time. Don't beat yourself up. I just, my thumbs aren't that quick. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Piff. Thanks for having me. I haven't seen me. you in a while. It's been a, um, it's been been a, a month I've been out of town. Uh, yeah, been a month you've been out of town. And then I was on tour. I'm going back on tour. So, yeah, we haven't seen much Still of each other. Still with puddles? With puddles. Third leg. And then we've got one, one off in san francisco so we're doing these two weeks and then that takes us to november 7th and then one one off on december 10th in san francisco and where are you where are you playing these this uh this next leg uh cincinnati kansas city texas uh, google it <laughs> that's all i can say to you google it okay good but uh, the show's going well they are they are it's uh it's an hour of piff the magic dragon and um, I've been working in brand new material on this tour. Oh, really? Yeah, which I'm pretty proud of now. <laughs> <laughs> so, some some people had to suffer, uh-huh. but I'm proud of it now. And then it's an hour of uh, puddles, and then we do uh, one trick at the end together. And he, uh, I, do, I, I do my card changing trick, which I did in 2011 on Penn and Teller Fallers. Yep. Gave him a big break. Where we met. Where we met. And he sings the song that I do the trick to. Oh, that's nice. Well, there's Sounds of Silence or something, right? No, it's... I'm not sure I should admit this. Because might, they might tell me to stop using it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yesterday by the Beatles. They'll tell you the story. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but Paul has not been listening lately to the podcast. Lately. Okay, good. But what if he goes on a binge? Yeah, he does. He yeah. might binge and say... But if he does go on a binge, he'll skip the Piff show. Yeah, right. Oh, that's Piff. I, I, I've heard enough. Yeah, I get I get that. Unless, of course, we tie to this, please don't listen to this Paul McCartney. <laughs> Which is what the title is. Oh, God damn it. Well, that's, that, that must be really nice, a nice end to the show. It is. It's going to be a nice way to round off the, uh, the tour and a nice show's in good shape. Where are you playing in Frisco? Now, I'll tell you what we're playing. The Sydney Goldstein Theatre. Now, the Piff the Major Dragon Show, we still do meet and greets because I love herpes i just love catching it over and over again and people often say to me oh i'm from san francisco and i say because i always say where you're from and i say oh we're coming to san francisco i say where i'd love to come to the show and we and i say we're coming to sydney goldstein theater and they say where's that yeah without fail where's that i was just in san francisco right looking at all the theaters going on 
Museum? Never heard of it. Well, apparently it used to be called the Norse. And the, Norse. the Norse Theatre and the rebranding campaign hasn't gone so well. <laughs> Everyone, so, so now, now that I've learned this, now I say to people, oh, it used to be the Norse. And they'll go, oh, I know where that is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But uh, that's where it's formerly known as the Norse. The Phoenix Theatre at 430 Broadway in San Francisco, which is where Asparagus Valley Cultural Society ran for three years, 965 shows, a little quaint theater of about 120 seats, I guess, uh, 143 seats, if I remember right, and I probably don't, right there on Broadway, right down the street from Carol Dota, the first topless club in America, which is a landmark. Carol Dota had breast implants and breasts the size of your head. She'd be lowered down naked on a piano. Right up the street from there, right across the street from the Mabuhe Gardens, where the dead Kennedys got their start. Right next door to the Stone, where I saw people like Jerry Lee Lewis and um, NRBQ uh, nestled in there, this beautiful little theater that now is either a Chinese restaurant or a consulate. I couldn't tell which. (laughs) (laughs) It was very Chinese. And it was closed. But I went there just last week, right down the street from the Beat Museum. Yeah. And I suggest strongly you go to the Beat Museum when you're in San Francisco. It's a one-dayer. It's a one-dayer. So you won't be able to go out at all. You won't be able to do anything. If you and Puddles went to the Beat Museum, you would enjoy it. You're not much of a beatnik, though, really, are you? Not so much. I know. Not so much. Um, Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the days that you played? In San Francisco? Yeah. Asparagus Valley? Yeah. 1979. No, no, the days. Was it like seven days, seven nights a week? Was it, it was eight shows a week, I think. Eight shows. What days? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, so you had Monday off? Yeah. Okay. And uh, what times were the shows? I think the shows were at eight. Eight. You did that for three years. Wow. Great time? Uh, great time. I thought I was at the time 20... 23 years old, 24 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I, I was single, right? I had right. No, no dependents. I was running a theater show, eight shows a week. I was uh, being paid uh, what I thought at the time was an exorbitant amount of money, which right now I wouldn't lean over to pick up on the street. <laughs> right. <laughs> but an exorbitant amount of money. I mean, I was making in 78 thousands of dollars a week. Right. And I was... You say that was eight shows a week? Eight shows a week, yeah. Eight shows a week. <laughs> Just in case Paul's listening. <laughs> oh, Just in case Paul's listening. Yeah, 963 shows right there. Wow. I loved it. I don't think we took any time off the whole time. Did you play that area's Penn and Teller too? Uh, well, later we went late. in. Yeah. Because Teller always told me that um, you guys were doing very well as Penn Teller at one point, and then you got a call to go to Off-Broadway, and you were a little miffed about that. Well, that was L.A. That was L.A. you were playing then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We thought Off-Broadway was going to tank. Right. We were sure of it. As a matter of fact, the contract, we should publish this sometime, like on the web, because the contract is hysterical. Because the contract has no plan for upside whatsoever. Right. And- Every possible plan for downside. We'll get return tickets in advance. We will <laughs> we'll be paid our final week in advance. We will not load or unload the truck. 
So stuff like that. Now, we ended up having the show off Broadway that paid back the investors the fastest and the most in history. Right. Okay? And we got agents. We had no agents before that. And the agents looked at the contract and said, there's nothing in here about a raise if you're successful. There's nothing in here about more money if they're paid off. There's nothing in here about you gaining points in the show if it was paid off. It is as though this contract were written without the possibility <laughs> of the show being successful. And I said, well, we wrote the contract. That's what we had in mind. We do not want to get hurt. Wait, you wrote the contract? Yeah. Oh, no. So you, ne so you never got a raise or you renegotiated? The producers came to us yeah. and said, you haven't asked for a raise. Right. And I said, when we make a deal, yeah. we make a deal. We don't try to cheat out of it. They said, listen, you don't need to – Not you're not cheating. We just want to give you money. Right. And we said, well, the investors, they signed that deal. We're taking money away from them. And they said, we wouldn't change it. And then we went to Broadway, and then it was time to renegotiate. Yeah, right. And then it did well. And, th and then it all worked out for you. Yeah. Well, there you go. For a while, the Asians were very upset. <laughs> <laughs> no upside. No upside whatsoever. It's as though you propose marriage and say, here's how the divorce is going to go. <laughs> right. We'll lay out the divorce right now in detail. But there's no plan to live together. There's no plan to have sex. There's no plan to even go out to dinner or have a party. Right. It's just, let's get together and divorce. It's just who's going to take the children on the weekends. <laughs> That's what it is. Nothing else. Nothing else. That's the way we ran, because we had had things happen. We played Atlanta, you know, and had no way to get home. Right. They gave us no money to get home. We also had, in that contract, we did not have to do the show if there were fewer than eight people in the audience. Oh. Because in Atlanta, we had to do the show for three people. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. That's the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Festival time, <laughs> when there are less people in the audience than there are on stage. Yeah. <laughs> And when you're doing a two-person magic show, I guess that gets awkward. <laughs> yeah. So I went and did... Now, you were on Britain's Got Talent, right? No. You never have done it? I actually did it. Uh, it's a terrible story. Um, they asked me to come and do it because I, I wanted to... I had an agent at the time who wanted me to get on British television. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the channels that will remain nameless, but doesn't, but is, is the channel that produced Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> Otherwise, the story would make no sense. <laughs> Said to us, if he comes and does Britain's Got Talent, and you know it goes well, then we'll consider doing a special. Uh -huh. So I went over and did Britain's Got Talent. This is after you're already over here. After I'm over here, after multiple appearances on America's Got Talent. After appearing on America's Got Talent, the champions, and doing the best thing we've ever done on TV, right? where uh, Piffles laid an egg and Heidi's ring was in it, mm -hmm. after finally winning over Simon Cowell. Mm -hmm. Because Simon Cowell, he wasn't on my year. That, uh, my year was the last Howard Stern year. Mm -hmm. And Simon took over. I did a guest spot on AGT, and Simon didn't really get it. Mm -hmm. And Simon was always like, who is this dragon? <laughs> so, why does he keep popping up? Who is this guy? So I did this the champion show and like we did really well on it and someone's like, oh my god i love this guy so 
we go and do, so I'm like, this is a perfect time to go and do Britain's Got Talent now. So I go and do Britain's Got Talent. And what I found to realize is, is that Simon is all about America's Got Talent, the champions. It's all he's talking about. It's all he's raving about. It's all he cares about. And he's on a TV show called Britain's Got Talent with three judges who are sick of hearing about America's Got Talent, the champions. <laughs> so the other thing is the producer, I've been working with the producers for months on this appearance. And as usual, they want me to do something new and never tested and you know, all this stuff. And it's just, and you're just like, please let me do the stuff that I know works. No, you have to do something brand new. So we figure out this brand new thing that we're never going to be able to test until I'm there because it's like basically around the TV show, you know, it involved like me going outside the studio and all this complicated stuff. So we work all this out. And the storyline is, you have to have a story on these shows. The storyline is Dragon left England, done good in America, comes home, wants to have wants to get the, the same level of success in his home in his country. homeland yeah in his homeland right um whereas i was much more of the idea that prophet is never welcomed in his homeland <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'd always felt yeah but they wanted to do this thing so i'm like okay great so i fly in i don't sleep the night before because jet lag and I, i'm there for like three three or four days i got all this like shit we're getting piffles in the country we do it we get to manchester don't sleep wake up go to where they're shooting at the theater where they're shooting it and the tv producers call me aside and they say hey instead of piff the magic dragon does really well in america comes home wants to be a success here how about piff the magic dragon goes to america crashes and burns comes back to britain you know with uh, nothing left and has to make britain's got talent work because he's destitute destitute like the <laughs> prodigal son yeah right so i'm like well that doesn't really make sense because of course you know i have a show in las vegas <laughs> and, and everyone you can google that you know you, you've heard of this thing called google <laughs> they're just going to google it and they're going to straight away see that i have a show in las vegas so we're arguing immediately about this stuff we're doing these packages and i'm telling my version of the story and they're and they're trying to get me to tell their version <laughs> So anyway, I go on stage to do the thing, and there are these two TV presenters, Ant, Ant and Deck. Who did you meet them? Who's that? Ant and Deck. No. The two TV, the hosts of oh, the show. Oh, no, 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 because Ant and Deck were out that day right. because they had a, uh, some sort of illness or something. So a guy named Stephen something filled in. Mulhern, Stephen yeah. Mulhern, yeah. So Ant and Deck were doing the show, but they... Basically, without getting too much into this, they were arguing, <laughs> put it that way. They weren't very happy with each other. <laughs> One of them had done something that very upset the other. So they were very grumpy. So they didn't really care about a grumpy English dragon, <laughs> nor the circumstances of why I was there. Mm -hmm. But I needed them to care because my whole bit was themed around, I've just ordered Postmates or whatever uh -huh. it was called in England, and I'm, and I'm waiting for it to arrive backstage and it's late. That was very important mm -hmm. because I'm about to go on stage and be interrupted by Postmates. Sure. And if I don't get that across, it won't make any any sense why I'm being interrupted by Postmates. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to crowbar this thing in <laughs> to these two people who don't give a shit about me or each other. <laughs> so, God, help me, help me. So I 
finally like get my thing across and get shoved out on stage. As soon as I walk out on stage, Simon Cow, you know, who's now my hero, goes, Oh my god, it's Piftomatic Dragon. I love this guy. He was on America's Got Talent. He's got his own show in Las Vegas. He tours all over the place. He's crushing it. He just did America's Got Talent, the champions. This guy is amazing. So now the producer story is out the window. <laughs> now there is no like, I failed and that's yeah. why I'm here. So all the other judges, suddenly all of their arms fold because now they're going, oh, here we go again. More America's Got Talent <laughs> champions bullshit. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, God. So I go out and I borrow Simon's watch. And Simon has a very expensive watch. Now, when, <laughs> when we talk about expensive watches, most people think you're talking $15,000, $20,000 watch. That's like the price of a Rolex. Yeah, expensive. Okay? Expe it's very expensive. Really expensive. Right. But the thing is, expensive watches can also be half a million pounds. <laughs> So I can they really? Yes, and 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 on and upwards. Yeah, I've used. We we do a trick in the show with watches, and we originally did it with regular watches, and I stopped doing it with regular watches because I got on multiple occasions two things: one, watches worth more than a hundred thousand dollars, people would just lend them to me, and two, watches weren't worth that much and were falling apart, but had incredible sentimental value, which can never be replaced. So we switched it to Apple Watches because they cap out about $500. Right. <laughs> and everyone's fine with them being replaced. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's like, my grandmother gave that to me and now she's dead. <laughs> so I borrowed this watch and I, and I make a joke about it saying, oh, this is worth the price of the dog or whatever. whatever. I can't even remember what I said. One of the judges, uh, Amanda, I think, Amanda yeah. Holden, yeah. she says to me, oh no, that watch is worth the price of a house up north. Now, in England, there's a north-south divide, mm -hmm. you know? We've only got the north-south divide, that's it. But I guess you, you have, like, state-to-state -state rivalries, and it gets much more complicated. We right? had a big north-to-south thing in the 19th century, as a matter of fact, yeah. That's what I'd like to reference here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I'd like to go back to that time, because that's what it's still like in England, okay. with the north-south divide. <laughs> and Amanda is from the south, mm. and we're filming in the north. <laughs> Now, she knew how much the watch was, mm -hmm. and she was right. It was the price of a house in the north, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. But if you think a watch is worth $15,000, I see. that's a very big diss on the housing prices in the north made <laughs> by somebody from the south. So the whole audience starts booing her. The whole audience. This is this has got so much to do with you. Right. It's fabulous. You're just standing there holding your dick. Right. And they're all tanking everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I'm just like, oh my God. So I'm like, push on, Piff, push on. Of course. So I start doing these jokes and I'd written basically roast material for these other judges, uh -huh. which I thought would be really funny. Because I didn't think that they'd all hate me because I was on America's Got Talent the Champions. And I didn't think Amanda would turn the audience over the North-South divide. So I do these jokes and it's just making everything way worse. <laughs> Except Simon. 
is loving all of this material. Because you're on America's champions. He loves me, and I'm roasting the judges, who all hate him at the moment. And honestly, he's a bit fed up with that, because he made up this whole show. He's responsible for them having jobs, yeah. and now they're all pissed off at him. Yeah. So he's loving me roasting these judges. Mm-hmm. So I get, I do the trick, and for out, it's a miracle this trick goes well. Because I, I uh, make the watch vanish, a half million dollar watch, uh-huh. and it's passed off to interns <laughs> who were not even paid expenses <laughs> we're running this watch around the side of the building you know out in the front and it's now be- it's been delivered it comes back and it, you know ding ding my postmates is here uh, it comes back in a in a in a chinese takeaway box i open the box and inside in a ziploc bag is simon's watch back i give it to him he goes crazy he's like oh my god this is the best thing oh and that's the other thing i handcuffed myself to simon cow right and the producer, so I was like dragging Simon Cow out of the, the theater to get this Postmates. And the producer was like, he's not going to like that. You, like, you shouldn't do this. And I said, it'll be fine. And it was, he was loving it. He was talking to me about his pet dogs. He, we were having the greatest of time. So, so it's this weird world. It couldn't be going worse and it couldn't be going better at the same time. <laughs> so the watch appears. I'm on stage with Simon Cow. He's, pad, he's handcuffed to me. Ant and Deck come out, still pissed off at each other. <laughs> they say to the judges, what do you think? First judge says, yeah, the magic was good. Quite funny. It's fine. <laughs> like five words. Second judge, yeah, it's fine. Third judge, yeah, yeah all right. Like, li- er- unusable. <laughs> Absolutely unusable. They say to Simon, Simon, what do you think? Simon just raves and raves and raves about it. Raves about it. To, to eye rolls. From the other judges to eye rolls. I was just like, oh my God. And I'm padlocked to him. So we finished the thing. We exit the stage. Simon's like, do you have the key for this? I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding. Here it is. Unlock thing. Simon says, thank you so much. It was just a pleasure having you here. I want to come and see your show in Vegas. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you later. I walk off. I go backstage. This producer, who, the, sorry, the agent who I was working with, came back. I was like, how did that go? And the station was like, not good. <laughs> not good so th- so they said hey we're not going to air it i'm like great i like cancelled all this work in america you know like thousands and thousands of- the price of an expensive watch <laughs> worth of work you know i i like flew over there took all this time out and now they're, they're not even going to use it so britain has got talent airs very first shot in the show me walking down a corridor my twitter blows up with oh my god piff's going to be on britain's got talent this year what have you done to me, guys? So I had to spin out. Oh, no, I'm not going to be there. No. It's, and it was just super awkward. So I've never been on Britain's they Got Talent. They showed a shot of you? Apart from that one shot of me on Britain's Got Talent. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool, walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to 
go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia. Made to travel. I had a very different experience. I was a judge. I was filling in for Simon Cowell. Yeah, they called me about this show. Yeah, you should. Did you know I was going to be one of the judges? No, otherwise I would have said yes. I know because I would. You well, would have. I don't know whether I said yes because they they said to me I had to have new material. All new material couldn't be done on TV ever, and uh, it was in an arena. Yeah, and they lost me at both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really an arena. It was a convention center in Birmingham or something. No, that's an arena. The it's NEC a, Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, it's an arena. Yeah, okay. I played it with Mumford and Sons. Okay. It's like an 11,000 seat arena. But was it, there weren't 11,000 people. There were like two or 3,000. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because they have, they have all our shit they got to put in there. Did anyone do close-up magic? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, I can't tell you who, because who's on is a surprise. But Not me. It was there. That's not a surprise. <laughs> Every- I'm not on it. <laughs> and I was there with, uh, with Amanda. Yeah. I was backstage, and I said, because, uh, you know, first time for me, you know, first time for me, and I'm, I'm I'm a judge. Yeah. And they say, you know, walk here, stand here. And there's no earpieces on that show. Oh, really? You I didn't know out, that. You just go out and sit down. I did not know that. So I said to Amanda, what do you, what do, you do as a judge of this show? She said, it's just teeth and tits. Right. Just teeth and tits. For 16 years, I've been doing teeth and tits. That's all. See? Right. Like, okay. okay. They're all very nice. Very nice. Judges are very, very David nice. David Williams? Me. Yeah. And he's very, he's very good, very funny. And who else? Not, uh, not, not when I was on it. <laughs> Alicia? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the three judges I had plus Simon. Yeah. 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 Did you bring me up to those judges? I did not. No. <sighs> I wish I'd have known you were doing this. I would have said, hey, <laughs> ask them what happened. It was, it was a really fun show to do. I, 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 had a, I had a real good time doing it. Well, Although, I'm, man, driving from London to Birmingham, yeah. it's like two and a half hours. Yeah, that's the drive. Yeah. yeah, and two and a half hours back, I was tired because I'd just flown over but jet lag mostly. let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's talk about it. How are, you, how are you functioning? I don't know. I saw the most ridiculous thing yesterday. Uh-huh. I don't know if you were there. I saw Pendulet <laughs> do a Q&A <laughs> on stage for an hour. Mm-hmm. Be charming, be funny, pulling quotes out of the air, left, right, and center, making very valid, well-thought-through points. And I was like, hasn't this man just landed from New York like half an hour ago and on the way here visited Teller in the hospital? That's true. After a week in England and Spain and wherever else you've been. Yeah, I've been a lot of places. Uh, One place I had not been was comfortably sleeping in bed. Right. I had not been there. All the sleep you saw was on airplane. That airplane sleep, it's so good for you when your head's down and you wake up because you thought maybe someone saw you drooling. Yeah. It's just horrible, horrible. And I got to the point when I was on the planes, I was so tired that I couldn't write, which I usually do on the plane. I couldn't read, which is my second choice on the plane. Then I couldn't watch TV because I couldn't follow the plot. My mind was just wandering. So I was watching The Three Stooges, <laughs> which is my go-to. When I'm totally, totally burnt and there's nothing left in me, I put on The Stooges and they bring me some solace, some joy. So that's what you're doing. You're, watching, you're on the plane watching Three Stooges uh-huh. and you get off the plane and you're still killing it. Is that autopilot? Is that what you're kicking into there? I don't know. I, I was on stage. It was a very out-of-body experience. Yesterday was. Yeah. Right. You know, Julia Sweeney's wonderful. 
I love yeah. Julie Sweeney. And she did an interview with me, and we talked a lot about the book. Because I've been doing these book, this book tour. Right. That's one of the reasons I'm all over the place. Is I was in, um, yeah, I flew um, to Great Britain for two days, to Spain for three days, to uh, to San Francisco for two days, <laughs> then in New York, and then someplace else in there as well. And I'm doing all these these book events, you know? Yeah. It's funny because uh, I, I have to, you know, you talk about the book and you show, and I don't know how book events work. I don't know how they work at all. Right. Because, you know, I got this book and it's doing well. It's the audio book is like number one there in like uh, comedy uh, drama or something. No, that can't be. Those are contradictory things. Right. A dark, dark humor crime or something. It's number one. You know, these these little categories right. like weather records, like the coldest day in Tucson on a Wednesday. It's like that kind of record. Yeah. But I'm number one. Yeah, well, you're it. number one. And that's yeah. what we're taking home. That's what we're taking home. And the book is doing very well, and people are really, really liking it. And I'm going on all these shows and talking about it. But when you do a book signing event, I don't know how this works, because you fly into a city, right? Right. I fly into San Francisco, and I show up, and I they take they hustle me back in the backstage of the bookstore, and um, you know the little room. And they say to me, uh, this is going great. One of the most successful book signings we've had. This is really, really good. We've sold so many books, and we have an actual waiting list for people to be in here. And I go, oh, oh. great. How many people are going to be out there? And they go, 40. What? Like 40 people. And we've sold 70 books. Oh, man. Right? <laughs> this is the most successful thing we've had. Oh, good. good. <laughs> 40 people. Yeah. The yeah. waiting list. <laughs> It's packed. It's packed. Oh, man. There's no more room. Uh, good, 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 good. 40 people. So I'm figuring if you talk about the expenses and my time and right. all of that, the profit on each one of these books must be about $17,000 yeah. that you make on each $20. Price of an expensive watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, and I, I love doing them. Yeah. I love doing it. And people came up. Here's the amazing thing. Of the people that came to the book signings, three of them had been on Fool Us. Wow. Isn't that great? <laughs> came up with to have the autographed pictures of them on the show with me. It was great. Oh, that's nice. And a uh, bunch of people listened to this show. And uh, really good questions. Um, in New York, had a guy stand up and say, your book is called Random, and you've talked about people making decisions based on throwing dice. I'm a mathematician, and how exactly are you defining random? I said, well, I realize that random is, uh, I'm using it colloquially, because I know that random in terms of mathematics is a very complicated subject. Yes, it is. It's a very complicated subject, and uh, I didn't really, I don't go into it. I use it colloquially as the idea of throwing dice. You don't know the outcome, but I understand if you had all the information, it's not actually random because the physics and so on are all tied up. But I do not spend any time in the book dealing with the mathematical definition of random. Okay, just wanted to know because I'm a mathematician. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we got that. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very very good, and people I I read from the book and it got it got laughs and, and everything went very very well. And you'll be very happy to know, and I am not kidding about this. 
very happy to know we are we are working on a TV version of Random, right? And as you know very well, you, Piff the Magic Dragon, are in the book. I, I am very aware of that and grateful for it. As is Jade Simone. As is Jade Simone. And as is your dog. Mr. Piffles. Yeah. And you are an important character in that you lead right. you lead our protagonist on. And you are very funny in the book. I drive the plot. You drive the plot. And you're there and you're described. Uh, your accent's described. Your body's yeah. described. Your voice is described. Your act is described. You are indeed named Piff the Magic Dragon. And your real name, John, is even mentioned in there, right? Yes. Perfect. So I'm talking with uh, producers and showrunners and stuff about doing a TV version of this. And I'm saying, I want the plot to continue. I don't want the virus to be part of the plot. We want to go on like this. And uh, they said, we want this character, uh, the character of Vegas, to be very, very clear. We want it to really be probably shot in Vegas with a real feel for Vegas all the way through. And as far as the characters are concerned... Who are you thinking of to play uh, uh, Rufart, the bad guy? So, well, I was, I have a few thoughts on that. And what kind of actor do you want for uh, for Ingersoll? And I talk about that a while. And they said, and who are you thinking for Piff the Magic Dragon? <laughs> I said, well, I was thinking Piff the Magic Dragon. And there's a pause, and they go, hmm, <laughs> huh? I said. Piff the Magic Dragon. He's Piff the Magic Dragon. He's he's very good. And they go, huh. well, that's a so that's not a place for a cameo. I said, yes, that's a place <laughs> for a cameo. And the cameo would be for Piff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> oh man, I can't imagine. I I, I kind of hope that when I audition for it, I don't get it. That's that, that, it's not quite what we're looking for. I don't even know how. I mean, they hadn't thought it through because there are legal problems. <laughs> I mean, you are Piff the Magic Dragon, and that is that is the name you work under. And I don't think we could actually do it with someone else. And Woody Harrelson as Piff the Magic Dragon. Hey, I just love like walking into a room, reading the part, and them going, "Have you even have you even considered this?" <laughs> Have we even done the background research? <laughs> do you know what we're looking for here? What do you see the motivation yeah. of the? Why is he in a dragon suit? <laughs> I think the dog might have aged himself out of the park. <laughs> I think you might have to recast the dog. So it's 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 really fun doing the um doing the book readings is terrific, but this whole trip was so incredibly surreal. Because although Teller's operation went very well, it was a quadruple bypass. Right. And uh, there is recovery involved. So I'm, you know, on Britain's Got Talent. And by the way, they booked Penn and Teller and they got Penn, right? right? Um, they wanted Penn and Teller, which is really interesting because you say, well, we're booking Penn and Teller because they're the best known magicians. Da, 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 and they're very happy about that. Then we call up and say, Teller's, Teller's in the hospital. Uh, we can't do Penn and Teller. And Glenn says, but we can do, we can do Penn. And they go, okay, okay. So we don't know about that. We don't know about that. 
So they go, we've got to get the second best known magician. Oh, which happens to be Pat. <laughs> so it's just they just go down the list. But I'm next to the. But they had to pull back and decide right. and commit. And you know what? Really, I guess this is this fair or not? My salary was cut in half. I mean, You're the Penn Teller salary was cut in half. You're kidding? No, they just cut it in half. The expense does the salary include expenses? No, they paid the expenses, so they've already saved money on that. Right. That's the only thing that they're allowed to cut in half. <laughs> what, were, what were you going to do if it was the two of you? Would you have done something different? Uh, well, Teller would have been sitting next to me. That's what, but you, We probably would have conferred. Would you have done a magic trick? No. So, what's... <laughs> oh, man. That's cold. <laughs> cold. Very cold. Very cold. Yeah. I was in Spain. I, went, I met Juan Tamarith. I mean, wow. I, I'd met him before. I've never met him. Oh, it's 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 astonishing. He is he's just you know. Um, I mean, I I don't mean to put it this way, but I'm going to. You know, now that Johnny's gone, right? Uh, Juan is the most knowledgeable magician alive, right? And uh, so so funny and so great, and um, it was such a shock because uh, it was set up by Hondro. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. Hondro. Just said we're going to go around Spain. And um, things are going to happen. Uh, La Ventura. Uh, we're just going to have adventures. And so uh, I'm going around. And this stuff's happening. We're at dinner. And I'm checking my phone. And Hondro says, uh, our dinner guest is here. And I look up. And he got video of me. I just, my jaw drops as Juan Tamarith walks up. And it was just wonderful. And I was working really hard to speak Spanish. Right. right. Hondra was trying to do total immersion with me. So for the four days I was there, he tried to speak nothing but Spanish to me, and I tried to speak nothing but Spanish. Now, this fell apart many times. He had to go to English and help me out. But we were trying. And I had one, uh, a name named Junque, who's a uh, very famous illusionist in Spain, is wonderful. He speaks no English. So I had lunch with him. It was all in Spanish, all of it with just Hondro once in a while helping me with a word or two as right. we get through. And telling stories and joking, eat paella, and just having a great time. But then Juan Tamarith knows I'm American, of course. I've met him several times before. So he is speaking mostly English, and I am speaking mostly Spanish. And his wife, Consuelo, uh, is from Colombia and speaks no English. So there's this incredibly weird thing going on where the Spaniard speaks to me in English, and then me, the American, answers him in Spanish, and then he picks up a word or two of Spanish, then slides back into English, and then I pick up a word or two of English and slide back into Spanish. And at one point, I'm telling a story, which Juan thinks is really funny, and he turns to Consuelo, and he starts explaining to her what I said. At which point she says in Spanish, Juan, he's speaking Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I understood everything he said. Right? Right. So she says that, which I understand completely in Spanish. And then Hondro says in English, she understood what you were saying because you were speaking Spanish. <laughs> And Juan says, you're telling him in English, did I 
Did I translate from Spanish to Spanish? And Hondro says, I think you were speaking Spanish. <laughs> and, and he says, I'm speaking English. <laughs> and I go, I was speaking Spanish. And Consuelo, who's the only one who's speaking just Spanish, says, you were all speaking Spanish. <laughs> and I understood it. And then, it, so it's that kind of thing going on. Right. When you have no idea what language you're speaking, things get pretty crazy. And what language were you thinking? <laughs> I was trying to, try to get more into Spanish. I'm not good enough yet to do right. this, right. but I was working really hard. And I also met Fido, and Fido, uh, Fido y uh, Fidipaldis is uh, like the Bruce Springsteen of Spain. He plays like stadiums. Right. But he was playing. Um, this, a few small theater gigs, and uh, Andro and I went, and I met um, I met uh, Fido backstage. Andro was telling him he speaks no English, and Andro was telling him this is Pan. You know, he knew he knows Lou Reed, he knew Lou Reed, he knew Debbie Harry, he knows all your rock and roll idols. Fido just thinks he's kidding because there's this big dumb guy here. Right. So um, Fido has a song called "No Soy Bo Diddley," which means I am not Bo Diddley. And then the backing vocals are no Eddie's Bo Diddley, which means you are not Bo Diddley, right? Because Fido is five foot three and Fido weighs 90 pounds. Fido is tiny, tiny, tiny. He makes you look like a man mountain, right? right. Little tiny. And as you know, you know Bo Diddley, right? No. No idea because you're English. But Fido knows Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley, bump, 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 bump. Bump, bump. That beat is called the Bo Diddley beat. Okay. Because a guy named Bo Diddley did all his songs with that beat. Okay? Okay. I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Bump, bump, bump by Buddy Holly is the Bo Diddley beat. I knew Bo Diddley. Okay? So I take out my iPhone and show a picture to Fido of me standing with Bo Diddley. At which point Fido's world collapses. <laughs> Because <laughs> he never expected to meet anyone who even had heard of Bo Diddley because he only works in Spain. Right. So when he's saying this whole song about Bo Diddley, it's essentially nonsense to people in Spain. But now he's met a guy who knows Bo Diddley, and I say to him in Spanish, uh, no eres Bo Diddley. To which he starts laughing hysterically because he now knows someone who knows Bo Diddley, who knew Bo Diddley, who says, you aren't Bo Diddley, which is his song. <laughs> and then Fido does one of the greatest rock and roll shows I have ever seen. He is so, so good. I mean, crazy good. Although he's doing what is certainly based in American rock and roll and British rock and roll, he's brought in his own sound. There's violins and there's, there's a violin and there's a accordion. So it has this, this depth and this kind of um, Spanish influence around the rock and roll. And his lyrics are beautiful and he's a fabulous performer. And he is the most gracious performer to the band I've ever seen. You know how, and I didn't even realize this happens until Fido showed me it didn't have to happen. Okay, so Springsteen is playing his guitar, right. and it's now time for the sax player to do a solo, right? Yeah. And Springsteen says whatever he says, blow, big man, blow, right? 
and he backs away from the mic and puts all the attention on the sax player, who used to be Clarence Clemens, but is now Clarence Clemens' nephew, which whose name I've forgotten. He puts all the attention on him, right? We all know that. Yeah. Right? We all know that's what they do. But they don't. When he's putting all the attention on the sax player, he's putting all the attention on himself, putting the attention yeah. on the sax player, right? Right. He stands there in that pose. He's really interested, and you see him being interested, right? Yeah. And you boy, boy, Springsteen sure is giving a lot of attention to that sax player. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. Look how much attention Springsteen's giving. Look at Springsteen. Look at Springsteen. He's making us all look at the sax player. Look at him. Look at him. Right? Yeah. That's every band ever. Yeah. Not Fido. Fido says guitar player. And then Fido fades into the background and plays rhythm guitar while that guy struts, runs into the audience, does all sorts of stuff. Um, and if you happen to look over at Fido, which you only happen to do, because he is not pulling focus, right? right? He's lit. He's not in the dark, but there's no special spotlights on him. Like Springsteen, yeah. there would be 14 spotlights on him while the other guys had one spotlight doing it. He's just over there playing with a smile like, get this, I've never seen this in a live rock and roll show. Like he's listening to the guy solo. Right. <laughs> not like he's counting the time till he comes back in. But like he's listening, you know. And he's having a good time. Yeah, having a great time, having a great time listening and not pulling focus. And that guy finishes, and he steps up to the mic, and boom, does his job, sings, does all that stuff. Boom, all the attention's on Fido. Boom, boom, boom. It's Fido. It's Fido. It's Fido. Now it's the violin's turn, and he's out of the way. Yeah, out of the way, but not out of the way dramatically. Right, just. This is what I'm doing now. It's great. And the other thing that I guess is cultural, okay, but it, it's hard to get used to in Spain for Americans, let alone for Brits, who are more uptight than Americans, very touchy-feely kissy. It is amazing that not every human being in Spain died of every virus there ever was. Right. I don't mean COVID. I mean, it's amazing they got through the flu. It's amazing they get through the common cold. Fido has does not know who I am from Bo Diddley. No idea who I am. He just knows that Hondro, who's a big television star, is introducing me to a very, very, very large American. Right? Yeah. Because Fido, from where he is, he can't even tell how big I am. As far as he knows, I'm a building. Right? Right. I meet him. I go to shake his hand. He pulls me in and he kisses me and just holds me, right? Wow. And then he backs away. He looks at me. He holds me again. He hugs me again. When I say, I can't wait to see your show, I love your music, he hugs me again and again and again. And then he's on stage and I have never seen this. Okay. You worked with uh, Mumford and Sons, right? Mumford and Sons, yeah. And they had... Guitar techs. Yeah. And the guitar techs would come out and change guitars for them, right? Yeah. Now, you were close enough, and I, I'm not saying anything bad about them. Did they say thank you? Yeah. When the guitar was given to them, yeah. they would say thank you. Yeah. I saw Bruce Springsteen throw a guitar at a guitar right. tech and then yell at him for not catching it. 
Right. right? I've seen that happen. I've seen guitar techs for the Ramones and stuff just grab the guitar and just go. What does Fido do? Kisses the roadie <laughs> on the lips <laughs> as he <laughs> thanks him for the guitar. He thanks him as though the roadie were his grandmother and the grandmother took her pension check bought the guitar for him, <laughs> then tuned it and brought it out to present it to him on Christmas morning. Yeah. That's the way a brand new guitar is treated by Fido. Thank you. And a kiss on the lips to a roadie. <laughs> I mean, it was the- Three times. It was called the Spanish flu, wasn't it? <laughs> so many people. And because Fido's little, when they're sitting down and doing stuff, sometimes- He'll go over and sit in another band member's lap. And all of this, it's not the David Bowie, salacious, oh, look at me, maybe I'm bisexual stuff. Right. It's just, I've never seen anybody happier to be on stage. I mean, he is happy to be on stage. And he seems to like the music, and he seems to like everybody in the band. So I was talking backstage, and this was the first gig that Fido did. He had two new band members, and they play stadiums. Like, the, you know, the soccer stadiums over there yeah. are huge, like 50,000 people. He does all stadium tours. And he got this, you know, wild hair up his ass. He wanted to do some 1,000-seat theaters in Spain. So they booked like 10 of them. The whole thing sold out in 10 minutes. Everything. Every ticket gone. All the gigs, right? And this was the first one that we saw, okay? Yeah. The first night of the first one, which is also interesting. He's doing his first show, new material, right? New material that he hasn't done before in a theater and not a stadium, different environment with two new band members. And what's he doing? He's kissing an American <laughs> before the show backstage. Okay. So we talk to the road crew. Hondro and I, because Hondro knew the road, because Hondro's played this theater. He knew the crew there. And they said to him, uh, said to the crew guy, so Fido's been here all week with the band uh, rehearsing for the show tonight. And the road crew, and the um, local crew says, yeah. And they said, what's it like? And he goes, we've never seen anything like it. We've never seen a band where every member gets along with every other member. They laugh, they joke, they work on arrangements and compliment each other. Oh, that was a great solo. Oh, wow. That was really, really good. Why don't you do more on that? That's really good. And they run through it and Fido says stuff like, boy, you guys got that quickly. They <laughs> do this for a week. <laughs> yeah. And they go out and they eat together. And he said, you know, their girlfriends and wives come in, and it's like a family reunion. This is the happiest band we've ever seen. And they said, we've had a lot of other bands in here. They don't talk to each other. They don't look at each other. These guys are happy. It was just great. And when the audience, because he's like a superstar, when the audience stands up and applauds and screams and chants his name, Fido looks a little surprised. Yeah. Like, hey, you've been playing stadiums. If 50,000 people are doing this, a 1,000 are going to. Right. Yeah. But he's kind of like, whoa, isn't that something? I've just, you know, B.B. King is the nicest person in show business I ever met. 
But Fido is pretty close. Anyway, if you pick up one of Fido's records, this, even though you don't know Spanish, the sound is really great. Fido, F-I-T-O-Y, which means and, uh, Fidipaldus, which is a word he made up for his band, which is uh, F-I-T-I-P-A-L-D-I-S, Fidipaldus. They've got a ton of albums out, and they really rock like motherfuckers. And if you meet them, he'll kiss you. Then what more do you want? Right. <laughs> what more do you want for your favorite band? Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing because if the guitar, the guitar player goes into the audience and runs up the aisle playing a solo yeah. with people going crazy, and all I'm thinking is, in any other band, if the guitar player who was not the star ran to the audience getting this kind of applause, that would be the thing he would do his last day with the band. Right. That's what you do your last day with the band. It's like, but Fido's happy about it. Just thrilled about everybody. You know? And someone like holds up a sign that says, we love you, Fido. And he looks out and goes, thanks. <laughs> Just a good guy. It was really inspiring. It was like, you know, we need to have even more fun when we rehearse and work. So this is it. something you're going to translate to the Penn and Teller show. Yes, I'm going to kiss Nate. I love it. When he brings out a deck of cards, yeah. I'm going to kiss Nate on the lips. Why not? Thanks, Nate. Oh. Thank you so much, Nate. Look at that. You brought me a deck of cards. How I'm great not. is that? How great is that? Just fabulous. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the new Penn and Teller show. I'm going to show you, uh, when we finish this up, I'm going to show you a picture of Fido. As a matter of fact, I, I think I, I put one up on Twitter. Uh, anybody listening can check it out. The size difference between me and Fido is the size difference that everybody wants from Penn and Teller. Right. You know, Teller's 5'10". Yeah. Okay. And Teller's not skinny. Yeah. But what you want out of Penn and Teller is for... Teller to be the size of Fido. So I'm going to talk to Teller about getting down to 5'2", five, 5'3", five, and getting wicked, wicked skinny. That's a good time. But for now, Paul McCartney, do not listen because Spiff the Magic Dragon is doing yesterday without permission. And that was Ben Sunday School. That was Ben Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. And to our listening You become naked. would it have been if you were on Britain's Got Talent and I was the judge? It would have been the best. It would have been fabulous. Yeah, and I look over and the other three judges, they go, actually, we misjudge this guy. They're raving about me. Yeah. Gets to you and you just rip me apart. <laughs> you know what? He's a friend of mine, but boy, did he tag tonight. I've never seen him worse. And I've seen him bad. <laughs> You know we love you. Hey, Matt Donnelly, you anybody to thank? Time to thank loyal members of the congregation who support us over at patreon.com slash pen. Placida Scott, Dante Peace, Damian Martin, Adam Luce will sorely miss Michael Goudeau, Timo Tihoff, Mark Pickenheim, Miriam Engels, Scott Kelly, Kelly M., Adam Berzins, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Ross... Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Devereaux, Rue Dudley, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bacher, Eric Dobell, Michael Torbay, Ilan Lee, Jacob McCulley, Nicole Martin, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Nick Hemsing, and Music Man. Thank you so much. I'd like to be on BGT with a grumpy <laughs> magic dragon and his J. Oh, look at that. Very nice. We'll get sued for that. At least I'm not the only one going there. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.